Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Our series on the parables of Jesus. And so if you guys would like to uh, turn in your Bibles to Luke 15, 1 through 8. And while you're turning there, um, I've got a question for you guys. Um, I've got a question for you guys. Who here has lost something valuable before? All right, who's got a story of losing something valuable? I'd like to hear a story of somebody that's lost something valuable and, uh, and what that was like. What did the search process look like? Did you find it? Uh, or has it been like just perpetually lost? Like have you, or was there, yeah, what did that look like? Yeah, Dennis. Yeah, I lost my daughter once. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, like, she was like two years old. Yeah? And we couldn't find her. Okay. We're looking all over the house and then all over the yard and we started asking the neighbors starting to freak out and figure out where she was and we looked high and low and then uh, then we found her. Where did you find her? Asleep in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> Good place to take a nap. <laughs> oh man. I remember that. <laughs> when we can't find Benjamin. Look in the closet. Anyone else got any lost and found stories? How did that go? Yeah? We did find it. You did find it. Nice. It's like, um, did you bury it under there? <laughs> <laughs> how did it fly off in the garden? Like, I can't remember. Do you know? Brett, how did, how did the ring come off in the garden in Epic? I didn't know. I would ignore where it was. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. One more story. Do you have any more stories? Yeah, Mike. Okay. So it would be like in and out of the freezer, you know, half a dozen times throughout the day, and then at the end we were breaking down like a hundred boxes and throwing them in the cardboard dumpster. And I lost the first ring that Tasha had for me, and it was like it was like a size too big, you know, but it was uh-uh. it, it was really comfortable to put on and take off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this one's a lot smaller than that. <laughs> gotcha. So this one that was lost to never be found. Lost to never be found. Gotcha. Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, stories of lost and foundness. Um, This is what this parable is about this morning. Um, This parable this morning is about loss and the feelings that come with loss. Um, Kind of that anxious, oh, shoot, something is missing kind of feeling. This feeling that we need to go and search for what is lost. And then it is also about the joy, the joy that comes um, when we find it. Um, I'm sure there was some great joy and relief when Brett found his wedding ring. And there's some, definitely some massive joy and relief when you found your daughter um, sleeping in the closet. It's like, you know, you just want to go tell your neighbors. Did you go tell your neighbors that you'd been asking around? Did you tell them that you found her? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's the joy that needs to be expressed, that needs to be shared. And we find this story um, in the book of Luke, chapter 15. And so if you guys are there, um, read along with me. Don't have to read out loud, but read along with me. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that it's lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, 
he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls his friends together and his neighbors saying, Rejoice for me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or, what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, call her friends together, her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Dear Lord God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your son. And God, we stand in awe of your wonderful presence this morning. And God, we ask that you would speak to us through your word this morning, that you'd speak to us through this parable, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear, and that we would have your heart for the lost. And Father, we pray that by your grace, you might use us to guide those who are lost in this world back to you. In your name we pray, amen. And so at the heart of this parable, or really these two parables, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, we find that there is joy at the heart of it. There's this idea of there's something being lost and then this joy of something being found when what is lost has been recovered. But Jesus also used this parable as a defense. It's a defense against the Pharisees um, because the Pharisees are grumbling against Jesus for spending time with sinners and tax collectors, specifically spending meals with tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees were so bent out of shape over Jesus spending time with sinners and tax collectors um, at meals because in this day, when you went to have a meal, um, it was kind of the social symbol of who you associated yourself with. If you think about it, if you can think all the way back to high school, it's kind of like the high school cafeteria. Like the jocks sit with the jocks, the girls sit with the girls. Like you have these different social groups that sit together. And there's these social barriers that say that you don't go sit over there unless you're a part of that group or part of that clique. And so that's what's going on in this world. But it's even far greater than that because in this day, there were even laws concerning food that kept people from eating with one another. If you were eating a certain type of food, and my religious law said that, you, that I could not be present while you ate that food, then we would never share a meal together. We would never share a meal together. The Pharisees, had taken also the law that God had given them and had expounded upon it to the point to where the Pharisees believed that they were not even able to share a meal with a sinner or a tax collector. They weren't even able to lend money to or trust or associate with in any way a sinner or a tax collector in fear that they would be judged, that they would become unclean like the sinner or the tax collector that they're with. And so there's this idea in this pharmaceutical world, in this Palestinian ancient world, that who you were with and who you spent most of your time with defined also who you were. And so the Pharisees were certain that they were not going to spend time with those sinners, with those tax collectors. If anything, they were going to stand out. They were going to show how holy they were by separating themselves from the rest of the community and from the rest of the people. And they weren't even allowed to go 
and talk to people and have meals with them even for the sake of bringing people closer to the Torah, for bringing people closer to God. The only way that anyone that was a Pharisee in that day got to have a conversation with somebody about God or about the Torah was as if that sinner or that tax collector decided that they were somehow interested in knowing more about God, and then they could go to them. They could go to them. But in no way were the Pharisees going to go to the sinners and tax collectors and make themselves available. It was only a one-way street where if you were going to repent, then sure, I'll listen to you. Sure, you can be welcomed into the kingdom of God. Oh, you're going to keep on sinning? I'm sorry. I can't talk to you anymore. It was that kind of conversation. It was that kind of social interaction. And, but here, Jesus is breaking all the rules. Here, Jesus isn't eating with the Pharisees. Here, Jesus, the Son of God, the most holy person that's ever lived, does not separate himself. Instead, he goes and he eats with sinners. He welcomes them, and he's not afraid to be associated with sinners. Also at this time, over meals, it was when rabbis and teachers of the law would come together and discuss the Torah. They would have these intelligent conversations. They'd have kind of these devotional conversations about uh, what the Torah meant in this place or what the Bible meant in this place. They'd have these kind of philosophical, theological arguments amongst themselves where people could come and watch them kind of discuss uh, their theological positions and they can come and be enlightened. And Jesus doesn't partake in any of that. Instead, Jesus goes and he decides to have conversations with real, everyday people, with real, everyday broken people, and he finds himself there. And so it's a defense. It's a defense against the Pharisees and the ways that they have lived their lives, the ways that they have cut themselves off from the rest of the world, and the ways that they have seen themselves as more righteous than everyone else. And so in this defense, he tells these two parables. And he opens this with this first parable about a shepherd, about a shepherd who has lost his sheep, who leaves his flock behind to go and risk his life and do everything it takes to bring that one sheep back. In the words of Matthew, this one sheep, because this parable is also found in Matthew, this one sheep, it says that it has wandered off. Luke uses the words that it was a sheep that had become lost. In any case, the sheep has wandered off or it has become lost to where the shepherd needs to go and find it. So Jesus tells us this story. And it's more than this. It's more than just a defense. The story of the shepherd going and seeking this lost sheep is more than just a defense, but it's actually an indictment against the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees in this day were also seen as the shepherds of God's people. As the, as the people shepherding and leading God's people. And here Jesus tells this parable of a shepherd who's willing to go and seek the lost. And these Pharisees are not willing to go and have that heart of seeking the lost. What's amazing is that if you look at this parable, this first one about the sheep and the shepherd seeking out the lost, there's language in Jesus' voice that's very, very close to language that we find in Ezekiel chapter 34. So if you want to go to Ezekiel chapter 34, because I think it's important that we see this language, um, because this, this language, I think we can say, this is the launching pad of this parable, is, is the parable. But then when we go to Ezekiel 34, we see the heart of God. 
and we see the heart of Jesus, and we see this indictment that Jesus is bringing down upon the Pharisees. And so if you turn to Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 1, it says this, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even the shepherds, thus says the Lord, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, and you clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not straightened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, and the strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled over them. This is the indictment that Jesus is bringing against the Pharisees. And he says, So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. Now if you guys jump down to 15, it says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat, and the strong I will destroy, and I will feed them in justice. This language of the parable and this language of Ezekiel 34 and who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do are so eerily similar. This, in many ways, this prophecy was fulfilled in history, but it's also being re-fulfilled in Jesus. And you, don't, you can't doubt for just a moment that the Pharisees did not hear Jesus strongly alluding to Ezekiel 34 in the words of this parable. Because these Jewish leaders, these Pharisees, they knew the law. They knew this parable from Ezekiel. And so you know that when Jesus begins to talk about a shepherd, and he talks about a lost sheep, and the shepherd going and seeking the lost, and this joy of repentance told them a place where they're grumbling against such action. You can see this indictment that Jesus brings, this challenge that Jesus brings to the Pharisees that says, are you going to do what God has called you to do, or are you going to continue to stand by idle? It's a difficult question. It's a difficult question to the Pharisees. Are you going to stand up idle? Are you going to continue to turn up your nose at those sinners? Are you going to continue to turn a blind eye to the lost for whatever the reason, whatever your justification is? Are you going to continue to pretend that it doesn't exist? I think the difficult thing about this parable is that it asks us to the same question. It asks us, are we seeking the lost? Are we seeking the lost in an urgent matter? To which person in the story do we identify more with? Do we identify more with the Pharisee who's afraid of getting down and dirty with the sinners? Or are we more associated to the shepherd who will not relent until the lost sheep is found? And I think if we're honest, the answer is kind of troubling. The answer is kind of hard to grapple with. Because I think in many ways we become comfortable in the world that we are in. We become comfortable with the communities that we have. We become comfortable with being able to go to a community in a place where we are known and known, where we can be understood, where we don't have to fear being misunderstood, where we don't have to fear being rejected, where we can come and know that we 
are accepted. There's a comfort to that. So there's times I wonder, even in my own heart, do we have this heart for the lost that Jesus is showing us here? Do we have this heart to go and forsake that comfort to go experience the joy of one sinner repenting and being found again? When we look at this empty seats in this room, is the weight of the lost on our hearts? Do we look at this empty room and wonder, Man, I wish that we could fill it to the brim. I wish that people in Verona would know the joy of Jesus. Or do we just come each Sunday, unpack, sit together, celebrate the community that we have, be thankful for the community that we do have, pack it up and go home, and then repeat this rhythm? It's my hope that we would be a community, that we would be a place where we would hope for one day that this place would be so packed, this place would be so full that we would be inconvenienced by the fact that we'd have to find the last seat in this place and that we'd have to sit there, whether it was in the back of the room or whether it was right up front here, but that we would have to get into somebody's way, that we'd have to rub shoulders, that it'd be so full that you know, we would be able to maybe be a little stressed in the morning but man, it would be so good because the community would be growing, the kingdom would be growing, and the lost would be found. And so it is my hope and it is my prayer for us that we would know that joy, that we would know that joy that Jesus is talking about of the lost coming and being found, and that we would be a church that wouldn't relent, that we would follow Jesus' example and his spirit to go out into this community and bring in those who are lost. Because when I look at these seats, I see the potential for future friendship. I see the potential for future relationships and joy. The future of going to new houses and experiencing new gifts and new talents. The joy of having more brothers and more sisters. So when I look at these seats, I see an incredible potential and the incredible joy that that would be. And so it's my hope and it's my prayer that this place would be a place where we would have such a heart for the lost, but we'd also have such a heart to live as Christ, and that there would be something so true, something so real, something so full of life happening here inside this community, which I think we're, we're like moving towards. I feel this movement, this energy with inside of us, that we are seeking the truth, that we are seeking the truth in community, so don't hear this as a critique. Please don't hear this as a critique. It's like, you guys aren't doing good enough. So that's not what I want you to hear. You guys are doing incredible. This church is one of the most amazing and incredible communities that I've ever been a part of. Rebecca and I didn't have to buy groceries for a month because of you guys. Because you guys stepped in and filled the void. I just want other people that have babies in this community to be able to experience that same blessing to experience that same joy. And not even just the joy and the blessing of food for a month, but the, the blessing and the joy that comes with knowing Jesus. And so I just want to encourage us as we are on that way, as I feel the momentum shifting and moving towards mission, moving and growing towards growing a community, I want to encourage us that we would be a community where truth and peace and joy and life flourished and that people could not help themselves but be drawn here. 
but they would be driving past the Verona Senior Center and pull in because they don't know why. And that they would be filled with hope and joy, that they would be surprised that here at this community center, there is a people, that there is a community that loved and worshipped Jesus and that loved their neighbor as themselves. And that we would emulate the perfect shepherd of Jesus Christ. Are you guys with me? Are you guys with me this morning? Yes. Thanks, Mike. And so may this become our prayer that God would transform us inside out, not just for a deep passion for the lost, but that we might live a life serving, loving, and forgiving sinners in our community. That we might not have this heart of the Pharisee, that we turn up our nose and say, I don't want to be associated with that. May our hearts become like that of the servant Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, who says, To the weak I became weak, so that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in them with its blessings. And he could continue to say it and with its joy. And the beautiful thing is that us as a church and as a community, we're not left to do this work on our own. Rather, we do this work in response to our own experience of being found. Each and every one of us has a story this morning of God finding us, of God reaching into our lives, of God intersecting our lives in a critical moment where we said, God, you are true, you are good, you are right, and we want to dedicate our lives to serving and loving you. What does that story look like and how does that inspire you to be a part of somebody else's story of God finding them? In both of these parables, we find God diligently at work seeking the lost. In the first parable, we get this image of God of a shepherd who's risking his life for the lost sheep. And in the second parable, the parable of the lost coin, we get this image of a God who is diligently and thoroughly seeking something of great value. It's a lost coin. It's something of worth. It's something of value. And we see this woman diligently going through each and every nook and cranny of her house so that might be found. The purpose of these parables is the one to challenge us, but two, to encourage us. And then the second parable, this woman, she's lost an entire day's wage. This one coin was worth an entire day's wage if she was a male. And so as a woman in this day, it probably was worth two days' wages. Also in this day, it could also be, it says that she had ten silver coins and that she lost one. And so this text might also be alluding to kind of a, a headdress that women would get, that women would save up for, for their, their wedding day. And married women would wear this headdress of 10 silver coins. And so maybe one of the coins on her headdress has fallen off. Maybe it's the symbol, kind of like the wedding ring. We had two stories this morning of wedding rings being lost. Maybe it's the equivalent of her wedding ring being lost. They say that this headdress... Um, in its value of 10 days' wages, was so inherently that woman's that no matter that woman's debt, no one could take it away from her. So no matter how outstanding it was, even though she had value in this headdress, it was hers, and no one could steal this away from her. So it would have been a big deal for her to lose one of these coins. But no matter the case, whether it's 
one of the coins on her headdress or two days full wages. The point is that there is much value that has been lost. And there is an urgency and there is much diligence and care in her seeking it out and her hoping that it would be found. And these parables reveal to us the truth and joy of the gospel that God is in search of man, that God is in search of us. Many times it's taught that we must seek God with everything that we have and that God might respond. But the reality is, even from the very beginning of time, is that God has been in search of us. God has been in search of mankind. He's been calling out to us, where are you? Where can I find you? Because in the garden, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sin. And the first response from God that we get is him coming into the garden to look for them. And the first words out of God's mouth after Adam and Eve sin is, where are you? Where are you? He's calling out to Adam and Eve. He's inviting them to come back to him. He's asking, he's searching for them, looking for them. He asks Adam, where are you? Like I said, we talk as if God, as if we were the ones seeking God, but in reality, it's always God seeking us. Dennis, I liked your story of the lost child this morning of losing your daughter. I mean, terrible circumstance, great ending, but... You know, I'm sure when you were searching for her, you are calling for her name, right? And when she was lost, she didn't realize that she was lost, right? She didn't, she didn't know that she was lost. But man, you guys were searching for her. You were searching hard. And so when I like to think of this search and the seeking that happens where we seek and where God seeks, where we, where we find each other, it's kind of this analogy of like when you lose a child in the previous aisle of the grocery store and you realize it because they're distracted. They're like looking at Fruit Loops, Frosted Flakes, whatever. They don't know that mom and dad is gone. They don't know that they've been distracted. And we've been distracted by sin. This is us. We're the lost ones. And we hear the parent cries out to us, calling us by our name. We call the child by their name. And the child doesn't realize that they're lost until they hear their name being called. And mom and dad's not there anymore. And so then they start calling back to the mom. I'm over here. Mom, dad. And you keep calling out the child's name until at once you're, you're reunited. And I think that this is the picture of God in search of us and us in search of God. It's this God calling us, where are you? And us saying, we're over here. We're over here. Come save me. Come find me. Come pull me out of this pit that I find myself in. And so we keep crying out as God continues to call us by name. I believe this is what it is to be sought by God and to seek God at the same time. And in this morning of the parable of the lost coin, God wants you to know that the moment that we've been distracted by sin, He's been in a deliberate search to find you. And that you are of incredible, deep, and great worth to Him. And that he's been lighting the light and sweeping the floors to find us, to call us as our own. When you look at these parables, both of these parables also speak of repentance. In the first parable, 
Jesus makes this comment of there being more joy in heaven over one person that repents, over one sinner that repents, over, one, over 99 righteous persons who need repentance. And you just wonder, there's people that don't need repentance? What, what's going on here? And what we have to realize is that here Jesus is using hyperbole to make a point. He's making a point that all of us are in daily need of repentance. This is part of the faith journey as a Christian. The part of living out our faith is acknowledging our need for daily repentance. That each day we, need, we must return. The word repentance means to return. I find it so appropriate that we have a God that's seeking us, a God that's calling us by name, and, and our, our response is to return back to that call. Just return. Just to turn and go back. And so these 99 righteous people that Jesus is referring to is he's again calling out the heart of the Pharisees who thinks that by their actions alone they are in right standing with God. That they are more holy than everyone else around them. That, they, that their judgments are correct. Anyone feel this way? I feel this way sometimes. There's sometimes I'll have an opinion on something. I'll be like, I am right. And no one can be wrong. And the tough thing is, is that when like five years ago I had the opposite opinion and I thought I was just as right. That, that is rough. Has anyone been there where you like look at your past self and you look at your present self and you're like, I don't know how to reconcile the two. I don't know how that past self even existed. He was an idiot. And so we need to be careful. We need to be careful to where our heart is at, that we might not have this heart of righteousness in which we believe that there is no need for repentance. Rather, we should have this humble heart that seeks repentance daily and takes on Jesus' righteousness as our own. And the beautiful thing is that in this daily return, in this daily return of repentance, this daily turning back to the Father, is that we are, and when we own this, and when we're humble in it, we have the opportunity to invite others to return back to God with us. We have this opportunity to admit our faults, to admit our feelings, to admit our misjudgments, and to say, hey, do you want to come with me? Do you want to return back to the Father with me today? God has invited us to partner with him in and through his spirit to seeking out the lost. And I believe that we are to do this through this fruit of repentance in our daily lives and that our testimony might be of his goodness and of his grace and that that might be shared to others. Because at the end of the day, it is God who's calling out. It is God who is calling out in search of his people. He's the one in search of the lost. Oftentimes we err in our thinking about seeking out the lost. We err in our thinking about seeking the lost because we think that it means that we've got to be really confrontational. Or we just got to be like, where are you at with God today? What are your thoughts about God? Have you ever thought about Jesus? Have you ever thought about accepting Jesus? Oh, you're hostile? Never mind. You know, we, we think that this is how, or this is what seeking the lost means, that we have to have these types of conversations at the forefront, when in reality, these conversations should come after much grace and much love and much service and in much relationship 
and joy and community with one another, of sharing life with one another, of opportunities where you can just say, hey, I'm going back to the Father today. Would you want to journey with me to know what that might look like? A place where we can live this out in community with one another, where we can be a living testimony to God's goodness and God's grace in our lives. The way that God has always expanded his kingdom is through his spirit. And it'll be through his spirit that he convicts the world of its sin. And it'll be through his spirit living in us that he will bring his people back to him. And it's by his spirit that we invite those around us to have ears to hear and eyes to see a God who is continually calling out to them to return home. That we might make known to them that there's a voice inside of them, a voice of the one who's created them, a voice that says you are valuable, you are worthy, and you give the kingdom a ton of joy, no matter what you've done. I mean, what a good word for the people in this world. I talk to people all the time that feel like, I feel so lost. They'll even use that word to describe themselves. I feel so lost. I feel so empty. I feel like I have no value. And what a good word to say. There's a God that's created you, that's looking to find you, that's looking to call you home, that has given you insurmountable value no matter what you've done. And that in you, in you, he finds great joy. In you, he finds great joy. What a good word that we have to share with our neighbors and our friends and our family members. And so I believe that's through loving and serving our God daily in everyday rhythms and routines that people are going to be brought back to his kingdom. But I also pray that we would have a burden for the lost on our hearts, that we would be intentional, that we would ask God to grow with inside of us our potential to reach those who are lost, that he would use us as vessels to bring his sheep back into community together. And so it's my prayer this week that as we go, that we might seek the lost through both our words and our actions. And that we might be a people that are covered in grace and with life. And that we would share the heart of our God with those around us who gave up everything to find us lost in the wilderness. So that we might share in the joy of his immeasurable goodness and greatness, of his immeasurable love and kindness in our life. Might we go and be that people. May we know that truth this morning in our own life. That you are valuable. That God is seeking you. And that he has so much joy in who you are. Let us pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you for this day. And we thank you for these parables. We thank you for the ways that they challenge us. For the ways that they call out our pride. God, we thank you for the ways that they encourage us and the ways that they give us value and strength, the ways that they give us your love. God, I just pray that you'd shower us with your grace this morning, that you'd give us a burden for the lost, that you'd give us a vision to see new relationships formed, to see new friends made, and to see sinners come and return home to you. 
God, give us the boldness and the strength and the creativity in our daily lives to be that voice to those around us who desperately need to hear it, that there is a God deeply in search of them who finds them incredibly valuable and who has all the joy in the world to see them come home. In your name we pray. Amen.